Who do you know? That's the um, title of the message that I'm going to give to you today. I mean, those of you who were here um, last week, you would have, or you listened online, you would have known that I spoke about Jesus being an advocate, which is a legal word for um, someone who, um, um, you know, who, who defends. We all seen these films in the courtroom where you have a, a legal team um, and defending someone in the dock. And the person in the dock is being accused. And as he's being accused, someone stands up in the defense and they say, Objection! That is who Jesus is. He is the one who stands in your defense. He's the one who stands up and says, Objection! Every time Satan accuses you, every time your own conscience accuses you, Jesus stands up in court before God and he says, objection, I'm here to defend that man, that woman. There's not one case, one person that Jesus lost. Every person he defends, God cleanses, forgives and receives as a child. And so now... um, we move on to the next part of um, John as he begins to write um, the question, who do you know? Well, uh, my first heading is knowing him. And so here we have this verse. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And this verse prompts a question. And we have to ask this question. What is it to know Christ? uh, 30 years ago, I ran a a, a small um, security company um, employing a number of guys. And and only this week, uh, me and David was um, down um, Millen Carter having a drink together. And and, um, and this guy came, comes in, and and he sits um, opposite us. Didn't take any notice of him. And then um, after about five, ten minutes, he started waving at me. You know, when people wave at you in a pub, you get a bit, you know, a bit, a bit suspicious these days, you know. And I'm looking around, there's only us three in a pub. So I looked over to him and, 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 and I thought, do I know you? And as I went up to him, he goes to me, yes, it's, it's, it's and he told me his name. And, and, and he was the guy who gave the security company that I, I ran, he gave us the first ever job we ever had in McDonald's in Brentwood. Now, he didn't remember my name. He called me Sandy. He couldn't remember my first name. I didn't remember his name. Um, but we knew one another for 30 years back. And it was really great to, um, to speak to him and to, um, to meet him again. And um, when I say I knew him and he knew me, we didn't really know one another. You see, um, when the Bible talks about knowing someone, it's different to how... We now speak about knowing one another. I know you and you know me. But that's not the same way the Bible speaks about it. You see, in the King James Version, going back to Genesis, we have these words about a husband and a wife. Look what it says. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Or maybe you want to go to another reading here, um, over in, um, is that in here? No, so go back. Um, 
in Genesis, that, that's the same verse, but it's about Cain. It says, and Cain knew his wife, and she became pregnant. Now, the thing is, what it's talking about here is that it is an intimate relationship. It is a, it's, it's something which they came together. Adam knew his wife. It was personal. It was intimate. It was something that um, they shared only between themselves. It had to do with a sexual relationship. And sex is something that God has created. It's not man-made or the devil-made. Sex is what God has created. And we're all here because our parents knew each other. It was an intimate thing, an intimate relationship. So here's how the Bible uses the word know. And so the question is this. Do you know Christ? Do you have a personal, intimate relationship with him? Because if you want Jesus to be your advocate, if you want Jesus to be your defender, if you want Jesus to be the one who says about you, objection, I'm here to defend him, I'm here to defend her, then you need to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what the knowing is all about in here, in this reading. It's not just, I know you from a distance, I know about you, I know I, I, we had a, a faint acquaintance. No, it is an intimate relationship with him. You know, I'm often saddened when I read this part in the Bible um, over in Luke. I read it, and when I read it, I, I do get sad. Because um, Jesus speaks to Christians or people who claim to be Christians in this Bible reading. I'm going to read it to you, and it's very, very sad. And let's just look at it together, shall we? Look what he says. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. That saddens me when I read it from time to time. There were the people who say that we ate with you. We sat with you. You taught in our streets. We was listening to you, your word being proclaimed. We was, you know, amongst other people who were also eating with you and sitting. Lord, don't you know us? 
And Jesus replies to these people who are knocking at the door. They are in close proximity to the kingdom. They're very near to the kingdom. They're just outside the door of the kingdom. They're not actually in, but they're just very, very near. Knocking. And because they do not have that intimate, personal, close relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus turns around and says to them, I don't know you. So the question this morning is this, do you know him? That's the question that we must ask ourselves. Are you intimately associated with Jesus Christ? Does he share your life? We speak about being born again. Are you born again? Are you walking with Christ day by day? Is he a part of your weekly routine? Is he in your life? What a challenge to open up this with. And we all need to be challenged. Great. Actually, I was praying this morning as I was walking and, and I was thanking God that, you know, the week can be so busy. Sometimes you to come to church and to drink again from the wells of eternal life. Sometimes you need to come and hear the voice of God through his word. We've been listening to so many voices. Sometimes it's lovely just, just coming away from the world and begin to hear what God has to say. And to be challenged once again, do I know him? Am I walking with him? I pray that it will be an affirmative yes in your experience. Well, let's move on, knowing him. So John starts about, in his, in his reading in 1 John, about knowing him. But he also goes on about obeying him. Hear that verse he speaks? We're in this one verse. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his command. I was doing a wedding. I was doing a wedding rehearsal. Um, I think it was last week. We was doing a wedding rehearsal for um, Jan and John. They're not here today, but we was doing a wedding rehearsal. Their wedding's on the twelfth of June, uh, by the way. And um, I've got. It was always nice doing a rehearsal, and we have them at the front here. And you know, I got Jan to say the words, and you know, and, and you know the words. Some of you know the words anyway. And she said, you know, I, Jan, take you, John to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, from better for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, um, to love and to cherish until death do us part. And John stopped me for a minute. He goes, hold on, Joe, what did you say? Uh, what did you say to uh, What happened to love, cherish and obey? And he was only joking at the time and and, and it, that was a line that's been taken out of um, our wedding um, uh, words these days. To love, cherish, and obey. And some of the men, you know, we like to hold on and underline that line and make sure we circle it twice and say, you remember you said to them, you know, right, you will obey me. Well, I don't know about that because in the Bible, actually, when it talks about marriage, you say that we should submit to one another. It's not just about, you know, the wife's submitting to um, the husband, we should submit to one another. But obviously, obeying is a part of life. 
You know, I'm currently um, watching the NBA Finals, National Basketball Association Finals against the Golden State Warriors and, and um, now the Toronto Raptors. And I'm the only one who knows anything about basketball in my own house. So I'm there talking to Rachel going to school and she turns around and says to me, um, Dad, why are you telling me this? I, I speak to my wife and she's blank. No one knows anything about basketball. I'm on my own about it. So, you know, so I'm here watching this and, and I was thinking, whatever sport you play, whether it's netball or whether it's football, you have to obey the rules. And the rules are there in order to bring order and order to make sure the game is played fairly. And the rules are very, very important. No one in their right mind will say, stuff the rules of tennis. I'm going to play how I want to play. Stuff the rules of football. I'm going to do what I want. No one in their right mind will say that. Because if you do that, you will bring about chaos on the football pitch. And so here we see John saying something about obeying. Now John is saying that if you love God, if you know God, then you need to obey him. And the thing is, John also goes on to turn around and say this, you know, in fact, this is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. It's not as if God has placed a whole heap of commands on us that is so burdensome that we, we, you know, we, we cannot cope with them. But he says the commands of God, when you obey his commands, they're not burdensome. And the reason why they're not burdensome is because you have help. Now listen to Jesus. Because this word that John is speaking is not his words. He's taking these words right out of the mouth of Jesus. Look what he says, Jesus. If you love me, says Jesus, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, there's that word again, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. If you love me, he says, you will obey me, and I will give you help. I will send the Holy Spirit I will bring another counsellor, another comforter, someone who will come alongside of you and help you to look at my commands, to look at my requirements. Someone who will come inside of you and give you the strength and the ability to obey my words. You cannot do it on your own. I like what the psalmist says. The psalmist said, I found your word, and I ate it, and it was like honey in my mouth. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, your desire changes. You don't desire the, 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 the filth of this world, the rubbish of this world. No, your desire changes. You don't want to do what you used to do, but your desire has changed. Why? Because the Spirit of God is beginning to change the desires of your heart. They remember what Jesus said in John 15? Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
apart from me, you can do nothing. No need to battle, to struggle, trying to do good, trying to please Jesus. No, the only thing you need to do is to remain in him. We have churches full of people who want to do good works. They want to feed the poor. They want to help the broken. They want to save the world. But what Jesus is saying, no, remain in me and allow my power to flow through you. My work to flow through you. Remain in me and you will obey and keep my commandments. That is what Jesus is saying here this morning. Now, at this point, where our society, our society struggles. You see, the Ten Commandments that's in the Bible makes the foundation of our law, still does, makes the foundation of our law. And our society, our Great Britain, in which we live, we have turned around and, and, and we have turned around and said that God's law is not in vogue, it's not fashionable anymore to follow God's rules and God's laws and God's requirements. And so we want to play the game of life, making up our own rules. Like a football player saying, I'm fed up with the football rules, I make my own rules. Or a netball player or a basketball player saying, I'm fed up with those rules, I'm going to make my own rules. And so this is what our society has gone to. They turn around and say, you know what, I'm fed up with God's rules, God's commands. I want to do my own thing, I want to do my own way. And God who created life, God who breathed life into your very being, God who watched your heart beating throughout the whole night while you were unconscious. God who made sure every beat was going through your chest throughout the whole evening, the whole night and morning. God, who is the author of life. I remember, again, me and David was walking down to this pub and as we was walking, um, I saw a sparrow on the floor and it was dead. I'd never really seen a, spar- a dead sparrow on the floor. For a long time, as he was walking, this sparrow was dead and, and ants were all around it and stuff. And, and when I saw this sparrow on the floor, the word of God came in my mind. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without your heavenly father knowing about it. And I thought that sparrow, God knew that sparrow fell to the ground. God knew that sparrow died. And then Jesus goes on and says, you're worth more than Many sparrows. How much has God invested in your life? And yet our society has turned around and said, well, you know, even though God is the author of life, we don't want to play by God's rules. We want to make up our own rules. In fact, five years, ten years down the line, we will even change it again and make different rules, and we put aside the old past, the old way, and we will go into the new way. That is our society. And yet, as we look around, all we see is chaos. I read in the news, in Sheffield, husband and wife is accused of murdering their 13 and 14-year-old children. 
and the other four children are in the hospital. What went on in that house? That is indicative of our society. Don't matter if you're rich and wealthy or poor and struggling. It doesn't matter what area of life you may find yourself in. If you're not living according to God's rules and God's standards, then your life in chaos. Absolute chaos. No order. No direction. And our society is proving that time and time again. Jesus says, if you know me, if you love me, then you look at what I want you to do. You look at what I require of you. And you will want to keep my commands. But you are not alone in doing that. I will send my spirit upon you. I will not leave you comfortless. I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you to do it on your own. No, I will come, says Jesus, and I will come alongside of you and strengthen you so that you can walk the way I want you to walk. Don't do it on your own. And sadly, that's where our society has gone wrong. But as a church, we can turn away from our society and say, you know what, I'm not doing it their way. I'm doing it Christ's way. Okay, let's just bring this message home and and end with a third final heading. Obeying him, the final heading is disowning him. Disowning him. Here we have those words um, in in verse 4. The apostle says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know, there's many ways of disowning Jesus. We all remember Peter in the garden, well, in the, outside the, um, the courtroom. We all remember Peter denying Jesus or disowning he knows Jesus three times. But that's not what John has in mind here. John, we're not speaking about a man who, out of fear for his own life, denied Jesus. A man who wept and cried because after he heard the cock crow, just, just realized that he failed the Lord Jesus and he, and he hides himself and weeps. John is not speaking about a disowning of Jesus like that. Out of fear and shame that came into his life. John was speaking about another group of people. Another group of people who come into the church in his day. In his day, these people were coming in. And they were saying that they had a secret knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. That is the Greek word for, for knowledge. And these people said, we had a gnosis of Jesus. We have a secret knowledge of Christ. That no one else has, but we have it. A bit like those um, creepy old women who you go into, the, into the, me- the medium house. You know, you go into the medium and they're sitting there behind a the table with their little curtains and their little cloth over the table, you know, and, you know, and they're sitting there and, and they come to me and I'll tell you some secrets. 
And you pay them money and, and, and they tell you the parts. And, and most of them are all dodgy anyway. But, you know, they claim that they have some secrets that they can tell you. No one else has it, but they have it. Well, these people was coming into the church and they were saying that we have a knowledge. We have a gnosis of Jesus. That only we've got. And even though they were saying that, their lives were a mess. They was filthy, they was sinning, they was committing adultery and sleeping around. They was a filthy lives. And yet they claimed to have a knowledge of Christ. You see, it's not what people say that counts. It's what they do that really matters. And so John turns around and says these words, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk. I like the word walk more than live. Must live as Jesus did. But the word is, in, in, in another version, must walk as Jesus did. The very essence of a person's life. If you claim to know Christ, if we claim to be in him, then we must live or walk as Jesus did. It's not saying, oh, I've got all this knowledge. Look at me, I know so much about Christianity. You know, knowledge can deceive a person. No, it's not about knowledge, it's about lifestyle. And so, John says, don't listen to what people say. Watch what people do. Now, remember what I said earlier on? That Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you comfortless. I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit do. When he comes, when he fills you, he gives you a life that begins to look a little bit like Jesus. Not all at once. But he comes in you and he gives you a life. And the Bible says about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit comes in a man, in a woman, he begins to produce a fruit. And that fruit, the Bible says, is this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. These attributes, these, these fruits look like Jesus Christ. And when a man or woman begins to be filled with the Spirit of God, some of those fruits begin to grow in their lives. Not all at once. It takes time. Kim and I had the joy of going to, um, to Kew Gardens uh, a few weeks ago and went into Kew Gardens. If you haven't been there, it's really worth Walking around, as you walk around Kew Gardens, there's this, um, there's this um, sort of like uh, art around the gardens of blown glass, and it's absolutely spectacular what they can do with blown glass. And you go into a museum, and there's a guy who made so many different plates and and and, and other things out of glass, and and how they do it. Uh, now, how they did it back then, they, they, you know, they melt the glass in a furnace. And after the glass is melted in the furnace, air is blown into that glass. 
Back in the day, they used to blow it themselves through a, a, a tube, but now air is blown into this glass, and the, the man who, the, the artist who's making something will begin to shape the glass into, into something beautiful. Or maybe he will put it into a mold, and that mold will impress something on that glass to make a pattern or a shape in the glass. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take you as you are and sometimes place you in a furnace. Sometimes it can be very uncomfortable. Sometimes it can be very hard. But he places you in a furnace. And when he pulls you out, he blows, as it were, his spirit into you. And as his spirit is blown into you, he begins to mold you and shape you and to make you into someone who looks like Jesus Christ. He puts you in tight spots sometimes. He puts you in places where you may not want to be sometimes. Sometimes he leaves you on a mountaintop and praising God. And, and as you're praising God, your countenance change. And like Christ changed as you worship him and, and you reflect something of his glory. And you leave church and people say, where, where have you been? You look different. I've been in the presence of God. And there's a joy in my heart and it reflects out of your face. Because you spent time with him. Sometimes he will mold you like that. Sometimes he will mold you in the valley of tears, in the valley of brokenness, in the valley where it seems so dark. In fact, David says, though I walk, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there seems to be sadness all around me, but even in there, his spirit is blowing into your life and he's molding you and shaping you. So that when you come out of the valley or when you come down from the mountaintop, you will begin to walk as Christ walked. You'll change your thinking. You'll change your living. Not because you've done all the work yourself. Get this, it's not because you have done any work yourself. But you've placed yourself into the hand of God. That's what it takes. So many people will leave church and say, oh, I must change this, this, and the other. No, the Lord says, don't need to figure out changing. Just place yourself in my hands. Remain in me and allow me to work in you. John was tackling the church. They had men and women slipping in that didn't really know Christ. And he'll call everyone out and say, you know what, I'm not missing my words around. If you claim to know Christ and yet you yourself are not allowed him to be molding you and shaping you, then you're not speaking the truth. Make sure you're in the potter's hands this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you 
God Almighty, for your word. Lord, we sing songs of worship to you this morning. Sometimes it's really wonderful to be able to lift our voices in worship and praise, but sometimes, Lord, we engage our mouths and not our hearts. But today, Lord, today, we have learned that our lives must reflect what we say. Not because we have the strength to change anything, Lord, but because we want to place our life into your hands. We want you to do the work, Lord. We want to come constantly to the foot of the cross, broken and wounded, but keep on coming, keep on being in your house, keep on praying, keep on seeking your face, because, Lord, we want to be in your hands. We want to be those who are being molded and shaped like glass, oh God that we will somehow reflect your glory. So, Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're saying today. Take us from this place. Lord, we go into a barren wilderness when we leave church. We go into the workplace. We go into our social circles. We go into some families, Lord, and, and you are not spoken of. Your name is not heard and Lord often it's barren but I pray oh God that we might find that place where we can drink from the fountain of life take us from this place Lord we pray with your word in our hearts and we pray in Jesus name Amen